back, everyone, to another episode of Restorative Talks. My name is Micah, and I'm here with Dr. Dale. And I'm really just really excited when we were pre-talking in our show, we were talking about a, a breathing exercise that balances the hemisphere of your brains. We're going to be diving into that and some other spinal care type conversations and some things that might be new to you. So if you're into that kind of thing, I think you're going to have a great time today. Dale, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Mike. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, you and I got linked up through the Neurofield listserv, and you had presented on a conference that I unfortunately couldn't be at, but I read through your research on, uh, would you call it resonant frequencies in the spine or for each right. vertebrae? Right. So I'd love to kind of just kick off there and hear a little bit more, like for, I mean, maybe some of our listeners don't even know what that means, but yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a chiropractor named was June Wider, I think, W-I-E-D-E-R, uh, out in California, who did a lot of research with uh, uh, tuning forks and, and, and took different uh, uh, tuned tuning forks and found uh, on the spine. And she found 12 frequencies of the musical scale, the 12 semitones, you know, the seven white keys and the five black keys on a, on a piano. The, the octave below middle C, that octave actually resonated to the 24 movable bones in the spine. And wow. she found 12 frequencies. So, that means that each frequency resonates to two different vertebrae. Now, if you look at the spine, the, uh, the thoracic spine, and your, and your, that all have all the ribs connect to them, that's a backward uh, curving spine. And then the, lumb, the five vertebrae of the lumbar spine curves forward, and the five vertebrae of the neck curve forward. So you have 12 vertebrae that, curve in, uh, that are in forward curves, and you have 12 in the back. It turns out there's a one-to-one connection so that the first cervical and the first thoracic relate to one note. The second cervical and the second thoracic relate to a different note, and so on. And so she was using these tuning forks for many years very successfully. And she used muscle testing, you know, which came out of applied kinesiology where you challenge the strength of a muscle and you see if it stays intact or if it inhibits. It doesn't go weak. Muscles don't go weak unless you don't use them. But muscles will turn on and turn off under different circumstances. So that's how she was able to determine which frequency related to which vertebrae. Man, that's all. It's amazing how just, you know, a lot of what we do is measurements with EEG or different biofeedback mechanisms. And I think it really brings me back to that point of like so much of our healing process, or our journeys to self-connection can actually, like our body actually has all the data we need. We're just using right. it. And, and the medicine of the future really is frequency medicine. I mean, there's in frequency specific microcurrent, which is a, another therapy that uses very low uh, uh, amounts of current, like a thousand times less than a TENS unit. There are specific frequencies for all sorts of tissues and functions in the body. And we do the same thing in Neurofield. We use these pulse DMF and other currents to activate the brain or deactivate the brain, as it were, or to inhibit inflammation and so on. It just turns out that these 12 frequencies of the spine relate to this musical scale. And, and the, as I was working with these, because uh, I could program those frequencies into the neurofield, and I, you know, as a chiropractor, you know, if I had someone that had a fifth lumbar problem, I could put the L5 frequency over the lumbar and actually uh, had positive effects. Now, it's too much trouble for me to put a, you know, dial it into the neurofield and do that one. And I can work with my hands and do all the things I do much more effectively. But for someone that doesn't have those tools, it worked great. But, but here's, here's the thing. You can tune the musical scale all different ways. 
So the modern musical scale, the, the note A above middle C is t- tuned to 440 hertz. But you know, a number of years ago, that the A above middle C was tuned to 432 hertz. That came out of the Pythagorean system. So a lot of people are very adamant that that's you know, the best one. Uh, Verdi, uh, the composer, uh, Giuseppe Verdi, uh, composed in a 435 hertz tuned scale. So the question was, which scale is the right one for the spine? So I made databases in the neurofield that had 12 different tunings of the musical scale that had all 12 vertebrae of the spine. And through the muscle testing, I I found that in people that have imbalances, which is everybody, uh, there would always be one of those scales that would show that a vertebrae was actually singing out of tune. Mm. And when you get, and so then you can put that frequency back into the spine when you do that, you might have to do it three or four different times for that same vertebrae, different scales. Then at the end, all 12 vertebrae are humming along in the 432 hertz scale. That turns out to be the base scale that I found. I love it. I mean, I, and I love the, 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 I love tying it in with the music. Cause I think for a lot of people hearing this, it's like, you know, we can get, people can get kind of turned off by hearing a frequency, microcurrent, all these different things. And then when you're, when you're bringing it into something that, I mean, we all listen to music right? We all, right. Everyone's had their experiences like, Hey, this is, this is really something. This is, there's a lot of science behind this. And I think I, I like to remind people too, of like, Hey, when we're talking about Hertz in your brain, we're talking about frequencies, right? right? You know, so it's a, it's a really cool frontier in medicine right now. The name of her book was song of the spine. Song of the spine. So literally the, you can get the vertebrae singing in the right tune. And when you do that, an amazing thing happens in the brain. Then it opens up uh, the, the, mid, the mid portion of the brain after you balance the spine and then the neural field comes in real good for that because then you can pulse in frequencies that balance the brain to the spine. I love it. You know, chiropractors, a lot of them don't know that, that the spine continues up into the brain. A lot of psychotherapists don't realize the brain continues on down through the spine. But actually it's all one system and uh, so you need to work with the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it really, like the more, the more we learn, right, even matching up heart rate, our heart frequencies with brain frequencies, looking at our gut for neurotransmitters, the, the vagal nerve, like, you know, the wandering nerve for those of you that have listened before. It's just, I mean, it's all just so intertwined, really. It's the medicine of the future or it is. Of the now in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And for someone, you know, you're located back East, you know, I'm in Colorado. There's people similar to what we, you know, some of the tools we have or skills. And obviously you and I come from different backgrounds, but have this, this merge of uh, really liking training with Nick, at, you know, Dr. Dogris with Neurofield and TIFF. And, uh, you know, like, what are some of the ways people can kind of get a feel for this? Like, is there a way that if someone doesn't have a tuning fork or an EMF machine or to play with the currents in their spine? Well, I mean, tuning forks are re- readily available and you can get uh, Dr. Wider. I think she sells a little pulsed EMF or electrical device, way too expensive for most people. It's like $900. But uh, you can get tuning forks and, and start playing with them. I mean, muscle testing is a, a good tool for evaluating the body. And so if you, uh, what I encourage people to do is pick up a Touch for Health book or there's a lot of lay kinesiology courses out there. As long as you understand, I mean, I've been muscle testing for, oh, embarrassed to admit it, like 46 years, 47 years, a long time. So I know a lot about it and I know how great a tool it is. I also know how not a great tool it is in the wrong hands. It's very easy to push on a, on a muscle and have it turn off or, or, or stay intact. 
we don't like to use the word strong and weak because that's really not descriptive of what happens. As long as you understand that's just a data point. I mean, anybody can pick up a paintbrush. Not everybody paints like Rembrandt, right? Or, yeah. or uh, some great artist. So it's a simple tool with, uh, but if you're using it from a neurological perspective as a functional neurological tool, you can do amazing things with it. That being said, the average person can start muscle testing and, and see the effects of, of things on the body. You can smell different essential oils and see how you respond. As long, the big caveat, as long as you don't take the information too seriously. I mean, just use it as research. I always say you can ask a drunk person directions. Maybe you get there, maybe you don't. Maybe it takes a long time. And so when you just start testing somebody's nervous system, well, you don't know how sober that nervous system is. You know, it may be reacting to a, an automobile accident you had nine years ago. Your, your body may still be pivoting off that injury. And so when we muscle test people, there's a whole slew of things that we do in the sequence to prepare the body so that we get the information that, that's correct. Because, you know, if I'm listening to something over here and trying to talk to you, we have a kind of a disjointed conversation. Now, you'll, you'll ask me something and I'll, I'll answer it, but maybe I'm not paying close attention. It's the same thing when you're testing the body. So as long as you understand that, I think people would benefit from doing some self-testing. Yeah, just and for people, not- I mean, I, I'm really my, my, just like that brain hemisphere meditation, which I want to get to soon, or breath work. You know, for a lot of, one of the trends I see, I'm sure you do as well. And, and personally, I've even felt this at times where being so disconnected from my body or I'm, I'm trying to make a life decision. I'm like, I don't even know where to, you know, am I, am I asking an elder or a mentor or a friend or my wife or, you know, whoever, but it's really hard to even tune in and be like, all right, well, what, what's important to me? Like, what are my values? What, what's my felt sense of this? And it sounds like you have some tools for just kind of clearing away some of that maybe activation or clutter that can kind of live in our systems. Yeah, really important. First of all, I would just suggest everybody needs to have a good applied kinesiologist some, or someone that, that reads energy, someone that can test the body physically uh, to get balance. I don't know how people function uh, without getting reset. We have traumas in every dimension of life through a lifetime, and uh, it accumulates. Just because you've forgotten about it doesn't mean it, the impact and the imprint of it isn't still in the body and it still isn't uh, directing your thinking, your feeling, your functioning. Okay. So everybody needs to get reset from some time to time. A good massage helps, helpful. There's, there's lots of great techniques. The neurofield is great for resetting things. And if you get an EEG and you can start seeing how to balance the brain, even great athletes do this, I mean, for high performance. So you can do it for high performance. You can do it for just remediating the effects of daily living. And with the COVID and all the things we're dealing with now, there's a lot of stress and trauma in the world. And if you're going to sleep with it every night, it's very difficult. So let me share this, this breathing technique. It's not mine. It's been around forever. It's a, an old yogic technique, and it's called alternate nostril breathing. Oh, cool. So you probably know that, right? The, I mean, yeah, you know, but I love it. You, you, I mean, you made me smile when you said it. I was like, right on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a mudra. A mudra is a hand position. And this is the, it's called the Vishnu mudra. Not yep. what the name of it is. But you put the index and middle finger down to the palm. And then you use the thumb for the right nostril, since I'm using my right hand. And then the ring little finger you use to close the left nostril. So it's, it's uh, you're breathing in one nostril, out the other. In that one out the other. So it's a figure eight. So you would inhale left. 
Exhale right. Inhale right. Exhale left. And of course you do it slower. And for demonstration, we're just zooming through it here. Uh, you sit quietly with your spine straight. You can focus in your, your uh, forehead centering or focus in your heart. And if you do this three or four times, it's very centering. So when you inhale on the left, the right temporal bone and the temporal sphenoidal system moves in kind of a, well, it moves this way. Moves, the, the mastoid moves forward like that. When you inhale on the right, the other side moves forward. When you exhale on the right, the opposite side moves. And they've shown this. You can see it actually on EEGs uh, and, and fMRIs. They've shown how the, uh, the, the brain shifts when you breathe through one nostril the other. So it's literally balancing the two hemispheres of the brain as you go in one side, out the other, inside, in that side, and then out the other, and you go like that. Turns out it also balances the heart, and it balances the heart to the brain. So it's a, it's a very good way of centering and calming. I love it. You can do it before meditation or before bed or just if you get jacked up by something. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's those practices. It sounds like for you just using it even just four times. Well, here's the thing. You got to be careful with breath work yep. because you can, uh, you can, you can, you activate things when you do that. And if you do this thing a whole bunch of times, you'll move energy and you'll center. And if you center the body enough, what happens, the brain will say, okay, I'm at a really centered place now. Why don't you just deal with this? so I don't have to handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens if you do too much of the breathing, you'll, you'll, lo- you'll dislodge a pattern that needs clearing and maybe your low back goes out or your neck goes out or your gallbladder tightens, something like that. So I use it in the context of a healing paradigm where that's the first of a number of steps and I do it until something shifts. So I don't recommend people overdo it, but doing it a few times can be very useful. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you speak to there the tools to work with something, right? Like I do some of the Wim Hof breathing type stuff, uh-huh. kind of, I uh, really like cold immersion. And, you know, that's been a piece that we've talked on the podcast with other people about as well. And that's certainly not without its risk. And it's certainly not a healthy breathing pattern for somebody to do all the time. Right. And it's, you know, having done some uh, holotropic breath work as well, it's amazing how fast emotions really surface. Well, you have to be a little careful with the holotropic breath in some people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, as that warning, too, it's, you know, there's this, uh, there's, that's, where, that's where guides and <laughs> trainers or sitters or these people come through to help guide you. Because if, you, if you're feeling something uh, overwhelming or shaking or deep cathartic release that you, you haven't felt before, it can be quite scary. Yeah. So, the interesting thing in the New York Times, there was an article about, Hillary Clinton after she lost the election in 2016. And of course she was devastated. And the way she got through it was through this alternate nostril breathing. Really? Yeah, that's the, the, uh, I read the article, I should have saved it, but it was in the New York Times and that was a practice that she developed. And whenever she would start uh, getting anxious or upset or hurt or anger, whatever her emotions, I'm sure there were a lot of them. And whatever you think of Hillary, uh, good or bad, uh, it, for her, it helped her move through a very difficult time in her life when she lost that election. So I guess whether you're Republican or Democrat, you can breathe and uh, use it to, in a supportive way like that. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, especially in these times, you know, she had that challenge of not winning and, you know, we're all in this 
collective crisis, if you will, or collective collective trauma or upheaval or reprioritization. There's so many different ways to look at what our shared experience is right now. And we're, we're all certainly, certainly grieving and I'm hoping some people are celebrating as well right through this process, right. That they're, they're pulled, you know, if we get stuck just in the grief and we don't see the growth and the opportunity or the rebirth, if you will. Yeah. One of the big, uh, the big uh, patterns I often work with people who have been through trauma and they've been through it is I, I have people say affirmations and I'll have them say a sentence and then I'll test to see if the muscle remains uh, facilitated or not, whether, or whether it inhibits. And a lot of times when people have had a, a sharp trauma, I'll have them say, think about the trauma and I'll have them say, I survived. Many times they go weak. Because I get stuck in the traumatic aspect of it. And then I just look for what area of the body, we, uh, where the weakness comes from. Because it may be an, a problem in the HPA axis, hypothalamic, pituitary adrenal trauma axis. It may be the liver goes off or maybe the gallbladder tightens or uh, you know the, the fifth thoracic it, uh, goes out of alignment just like a circuit breaker uh, trips. You have to go wherever the imbalance is, then when you fix it, and then the next time they think about it, they say, I survived. You say, oh, yeah, it doesn't bother me nearly as much. So uh, you can use sentences like that as a way of, of focusing. Because if I say, hey, Micah, how are you doing? You go, I'm great. I say, well, how's that elbow you, you, you sprained? Oh, it's killing me. It's killing me. So you got to ask the right question, right? Yeah. So if you just, ask, again, like asking a drunk person directions, when you're muscle testing, when you're asking the, the body a question, you have to be kind of specific so that you get the response that you want and that you can believe the response that you get. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's just, there's an art in the questioning as well as listening. Oh yes. And every, in, in any science or, or uh, discipline there is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as a therapist, you understand how you present and your affect and all that it determines everything for what you get back from the client. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, when we go into a contemplative university and we even had a, I remember multiple classes just discussing the idea of, hey, if you start with breath work or a meditation or a centering exercise, know that you're shifting the energy of that person. Right. For better or worse, right? There's no like right or wrong here, but you've already made impact. Nick tells a great story. Dr. Dogris, who developed all the neurofield, he's really a brilliant man. And one of the things you can do that's really unique with the neurofield is you can put in random generated frequencies, uh, calls a dehabituator. Because mostly when we're balancing people, we're trying to bring things to even, uh, we're, we're fixing them to something. Sometimes people are just stuck and they just need to have a, you know, just to change the subject for a moment. Mm-hmm. So when you put the random generated frequencies in, it just mellows the person right out. And one day he had to do a, a medical review on a guy who had just come out of prison uh, for, you know, assault and all this stuff. And he wanted to see his family. And Dr. Dogris talks about how he didn't really want to see this guy because he, he'd read his big you know, rap sheet, but he's, he was scheduled to do the exam. So he just put the dehabituator on and left it, you know, uh, the coils over behind the couch. And he just sat and talked to the guy for a while. And as he talked with him, he just got more and more relaxed more and more relaxed and, and it just calmed him down because it took him out of the defensive posture he was in all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a temporary thing. But then when he ha- had a chance to talk to a thing, oh, he was quite uh, amenable to understanding 
you know, his culpability and things and what might be the best uh, way forward. Yeah. I love that. I love that story. And I love that. I just, I love how it illustrates too, that like, once you've opened that door, so even though that person's most likely going to go back to their previous behaviors and patterns, if you can skillfully talk, you know, the what, so what, now what of say adventure education and tie in and show people how they feel different and be like, Hey, by the way, there's this other gear or this whole other experience you can have in life. You know, that can be such a powerful tool. It's one of the things I really love about the neuromodulation world as opposed to the neurofeedback world is you can get somebody there really quickly. Right. And they still play really nicely together, right? You don't need to pick camps. It's just like, hey, you know, someone comes in and you can give them a SMR protocol and they'll most likely feel more relaxed and more focused. People are much more receptive to uh, suggestion and for uh, to, to look at things when they're not in, in pain. And a lot of times people are, are, are stuck in pain. A lot of times they don't even know they're stuck in pain. You know, uh, they don't remember what happened when they were young. They know the effects of what happened when they were young. And, and sometimes if you can just calm the system down enough, then it gives you a window in that you can go in and act. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you play with the parasympathetic protocols at all? It's actually one of my favorites. Uh, Me too. Me yeah. too. I love it. For chilling people out and people that can't sleep, uh, yeah, sometimes they just like want to melt out of their clothes. It's uh, yeah, embarrassing when that happens. But anyway, it's a it's a great <laughs> protocol. It is. It's one of uh, I think it's probably one of my go tos as well. And I mean, even on myself, I've noticed. So we do a lot of work with flow. So like you know, uh-huh. there's there's this whole mechanism and kind of neurobiology of flow. And one of the aspects of that is activation of parasympathetic. And certainly this, there's, my belief would be you actually want to have a strong sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system to be able to balance and ride the full wave of flow. Absolutely. But most of people, myself certainly included, run sympathetically or like very active. Our whole culture is driven, right? Yeah. yeah. And when we, when I throw that on my mastoids or on my head, it can actually really help me get more work done, which has blown my mind because you'd think, well, let's, you know, let's turn up beta one or beta two or do something to really, you know, beta two, maybe get that kind of Adderall feel. And you do something that's so far down, you know, 0.14 to 0.4 Hertz. So back to that frequency idea for all of you, like our nervous system has a frequency, just like our brain spine. And, you know, all of a sudden you're, you catch this really nice workflow for me or a really nice, like self-connected time. I love working on the parasympathetics and that's, and, and you also can work to dampen the sympathetics in frequency specific microcurrent. There are, are frequencies that, that can turn down the sympathetic and bring up the parasympathetic. And so it, it, however you do it, I mean, rest and digest is parasympathetic and there's not enough resting and there's not enough digesting in the world. There's a yeah. lot of fight, flight and freeze. And that's, uh, well, and I mean, and we're, we're all living that right now, right? There's this, we're in a continual loop or a lot of people are still in that fear cycle of this loop because there's, because their question of when will this be over? Will I be okay? Hasn't been answered. And that's such a foundational question. If you're looking, if you're orienting in an external way. So I saw someone just a couple of weeks ago, I fixed her low back. That was her. She's an athlete, really good athlete. I fixed her low back. And she called two days later. She says, oh, it's back again. And it hardly ever comes back again. So I said, well, come on in. She came in. Her back was fine. Mm-hmm. But her, her adrenals were blown out. I said, why are your adrenals so blown out? I said, you're, you're showing stress. And it turns out she was interacting on social media with people uh, in a political way. 
And I had to think about it and I cleared it and then all her pain was gone. So mm-hmm. our, her therapy was not to interact with people on social media and she's been fine ever since. That's all. I mean, and I kind of want to like hammer this towards some of any of the clients I've ever worked with where I, you know, especially the families of like, or worked with a lot of angry young men has been one of my specialties. And it's, you know, that's that piece where we can have great progress in an intensive program or in the office. But if you go back to a system where it hasn't changed, and even if just one person changes, the whole system will change and shift to accommodate for that. Not always for the better, but like, you know, it, there will be change within the system. And uh, I mean, that's just such a like spot on example of that. Like, this is why whole family or whole community or group or team building needs to happen as well as the individual work. Oftentimes people don't realize the, the different fields they're embedded in. And so it's really good just to take time and sit quietly and just look at your life and feel where you are with, with your, your spouse and your kids and your boss and your parents. Of course, a lot of things go back to parents, but it's, it's so good just to focus on that and then see how your, how your activities are triggering these things. And, and there's a lot, I mean, of course, this is your field, but this is, we don't introspect enough sometimes. Yeah, totally. And that's, that comes, I loved your, like the mudra and the nostril breathing is just a place to come back to. And if we have these anchor points or you know, Dr. Tarrant or do the neuro meditation stuff with him, this idea of scaffolding of building tools and support to help you even in that initial journey of introspection. And oftentimes for myself, it stays very cognitive until I can drop it into my body because this is my default. Right. right? But, but if people, we, if we're a, what's that? No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. If we're, if we're aware where we are, then we have choice. Right. Right. And that's that piece of like, all right, you know, actually cognitive process right now really serves me well, or actually, no, I'm in a place where I feel safe, stable, and have the spaciousness to dive into my body and do some of this deeper kind of introspection. People need that body work. When I have people think about a trauma, I, as I was saying earlier, I'll find out where in the body that trauma lives. It might be multiple areas. It might be multiple layers of places where that trauma lives. But when you start bringing balance in the body, then it frees the mind. And I always tell them, you're always going to own the DVD of this experience, but you don't have to leave the DVD in the player. You can take the DVD out, put it in the sleeve and put it on the shelf. And then you can look at it from time to time. But most of us have the DVD of our traumas and our fears and all these things living in our nervous system 24-7. And that's not a healthy way to, to go in, about in the world. No, no, it's not. <laughs> that's how most people do it, right? Because they don't, you need to get some body work. And, so, and that certainly facilitates any counseling that you do if you're also getting some type of uh, uh, you know, enlightened body work. Totally. Well, and two for the people listening, I think to kind of, in a way to tie it into some of the stuff we offer, we both, my wife and I are both do somatic experiencing, which is like, which is a somatic based psychotherapy, very heavily rooted in polyvagal nerve theory. And there's so many ways that you can do this, you know, finding something that resonates for you and a person who's the way I like to think of it when people are hiring me as a therapist or as coaches, like, Hey, does my nervous system feel safe, stable and supportive to you? And like just kind of foundational questions of like sitting across from me and, a room on this like do you feel like you can open up and be held in a safe way you know and that's and that's not always like sometimes the answer is no and sometimes it's still a good fit but it's also a really nice question to start asking yourself 
and I, I've been wanting to mention there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, right? Which is quite a wonder. It's a it's a big book, but it's quite a wonderful book. And you know, in that book, Dr. Vandercock actually mentions neurofeedback and trauma informed yoga, and you know, just so much richness around these topics we're talking about in a very different way, not so much frequency involved. So. It's all frequency, even if it's even if it's just a manipulation to the spine. That's still changing frequency. And if yeah, 100%. Doing, I just just, mean, I don't think he's using that that word in that book. Right. So, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, in that, and that's that piece too. It sounds like just developing the sensitivity and the awareness for yourself. And then, you know, through skill sets, you, you've developed that to be able to read that in other people. You know, and that's, yeah, you have to clear yourself before you can read other people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, well, as we're kind of wrapping up here, is there any pieces that you'd want to like that we've kind of missed here in this? I know there's, this is such a, uh, I mean, it, it, it impacts everything. This idea of frequency, as you just said, but is, is there any pieces for a listener who's kind of like, all right, that all sounds really good, but what, what do I do with it? Or maybe where can I go find you to work with you? Or, you know, just that, like, what, what's well, I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, so that most people uh, aren't going to be able to find me. There are good applied kinesiologists around the world. If you go to ICAKUSA.com, International College of Applied Kinesiology.com, there's a referral list there. There's a, a wonderful technique called, we haven't talked about it, it's called PDTR, proprioceptive deep tendon reflex, which grew out of applied kinesiology, contains most of uh, the muscle testing world, which is a neurological way of balancing the body developed by a, a brilliant orthopedic surgeon from Mexico, uh, Dr. Palomar. So you can go to the PDTR uh, website and they have referrals. You need to find someone that's really done this advanced work Anyone that studies QA, quintessential applications, the work of Dr. Schmidt, he's probably one of the, the leaders in our field in applied kinesiology. He's got just the most amazing neurological approach to balancing the body using the muscle testing as a neurological tool. So find people that know this work, the QA, the PDTR, the applied kinesiology. Uh, they won't do everything for you, but they'll do a lot, and they're a good person to have on your team because people need a team. They need someone like you. They need uh, maybe a good nutritionist, although the kinesiologist can do the nutrition probably better in, in many ways. You need, you need a team of people that'll help you. Awesome. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more, right? We, and, you know, for the listeners out there, like, that sounds like a lot, like, you deserve it. And find there's, with the internet, there's so much information if you, you know, can't, if you don't have access to someone close, I'm, I'm, you know, getting on a phone call with somebody or doing some reading, picking up a book and just starting that journey of, self-connection and attunement is such a, yeah, I think you'll be amazed at the people that show up in your life along that journey. Yeah. Just, just, you have to inwardly ask, do some breath to calm yourself down so that your asking works better and uh, you'd be amazed what happens. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll, uh, I'll link your stuff in the show notes below. And you know, so if anyone wants to get in touch with you, they'll have a, a way to do so. So thank you. Awesome. Mike. I enjoyed it.